0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world, as well as a show on RTE and online via the website via your favourite podcasting app. We keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, this week, we had the National Analytics Conference, which is actually very, very interesting. I was at it and caught up on an amazing lady, which we played the interview for. For uh, a little later but first Nile joins me uh, the big the other big event of the week was elsewhere in the world and this was the Samsung Developers Conference and we were all waiting <gasps> with bated breath well, more so you were uh, well I was what do you mean I was the entire world was <laughs> don't don't try and deny that you weren't sitting there waiting you know this, this is a bit of a major innovation here what's it going to look like Samsung were rumoured to be revealing the world's first foldable phone and the way they did it was was interesting, because you and I were both watching it, and it was kind of like, I was with Bated Breath, you were going, yeah, well, whatever. Um, and the guy's up on the stage, he goes, well, you've been hearing all the rumours, wait no longer. And then out of his pocket, he takes a phone-shaped device, and then... The lights in the theatre die, all right, deliberately, all right. And then he goes, wait no longer, because here it is. And then he turns on the phone and you see like a normal phone screen. And he goes, it's the foldable phone. When I open it up, voila. And then he shows the the large screen that is uh, inside the phone. And then he closes it and then he puts it back in his pocket and then the lights come on again. It was was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It wasn't exactly... uh even the reaction the reaction from the crowd in the audience I suppose maybe we're so trained with Steve Jobs and Apple and stuff like that you know how they all go wow yeah you Mm -hmm. know and we've decided to call it the Apple X Wow! you know Samsung would do this on a foldable phone and everyone just goes oh (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting.
0: <laughs> exactly. So uh, I just thought it was a, a kind of a strange thing. Now I think I reckon what they're doing is number one is that it's just a concept uh, that they mm. haven't actually kind of got the phone built at the moment or, or anything really to show. Uh, because even looking at the shadow of that thing, it looks but ugly to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> But just to show that you can have a device where you can open it up like a book, and then you get a full screen, and there's no line running down the middle where the where the uh, of of a hinge or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, And they just wanted to show that, uh, well, whatever, it's fine. But I think basically we didn't see anything, did we? Well,
2: no. And this was kind of they sent out invitations. For the, um, for the developer conference and had the Samsung, Samsung logo effectively folded over. I mean, this wasn't just a side, you know, one more thing down the line, we'll be doing this kind of thing. This was meant to be a big product reveal. This was meant to be the thing that people would take away. Well, certainly, you know, the average person would take away from the conference and go, wow this is really interesting. You know, this, this could be the thing that makes me want to change my phone. This could, be, this could be the breakthrough. Foldable display, I get it. Screens are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but maybe I want something with a smaller form factor or I want flexibility of form factor. There are plenty of reasons why somebody would want a foldable phone that actually aren't obvious when you're told it's a foldable phone.
0: Oh, wow. I love your wording there, that it isn't obvious that it's a folding phone. So basically, if you had whatever the standard smartphone is of today, and then you were able to open it up like a book and go, hey, it's a foldable phone, fo-, you'd be happy with that.
2: Yeah. Well, look at it this way. What was the best phone? I mean, the best um, version of the iPhone, in my opinion, was probably the 4S. I would absolutely agree with you 100%. Yeah. it It had good performance, and it had really nice design, and... A neat little form factor, right? Yep. And since then, for my money, the iPhone has just improved in screen size and battery life. Those are the two things that have driven it. Now, if you could imagine having something the size of the 4S and you could stretch it out to something the size of, you know, the 7, the X, the X, the XL, whatever it is, XS, that's a selling point. That's something that's nice. Uh, would you agree? Mm-hmm no okay uh, And, and uh, because I think the, you know
0: there's a great phrase that gets bandied around with me uh, a lot of the time it's like you know blah 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 that is just a, a solution looking for a problem uh, and I think with the, the foldable mobile phone, I think is a solution looking for a problem. All right. Because I think we've got a form factor with the phones that we're used to and we're happy with and it fits in our pockets and, and that's what it's used for. And, you know, you can go from the old 4S size up to the, whatever the, uh, uh, the iPhone X is at the moment or the Samsung Note 9 or whatever it happens to be, right? It, it gets in the pocket to fold that size over in half. I think is just. Maybe it's just a little bit ridiculous. But what I think is interesting with the Samsung Developers Conference, with the fold, folding phones, is to forget about phones altogether. What about okay. if you had folding uh, tablets? Or if you were to look at it this way, as I was saying to you before we came on air, if you kind of looked at your tablet or say your laptop and you went, okay, so I open up my laptop. This is what we're used to, okay? So instead of opening up your laptop and having a screen and then another half for the keyboard, what if you open up your laptop and it was just one entire screen?
2: A super tablet that you could fold. Yeah, you see, this has been tried before, though. I think HP had a concept... Uh, Lenovo had something like that and HP had something like that where it was effectively a laptop with two screens and where the keyboard was could change into pretty much anything in theory if you mm. wanted and it just didn't catch on because people didn't think of laptops in that way mm. so do you think then that a product with a folding screen will come out and people will go do you know what I, I can see a use for this I can see a purpose for this
0: I think something will 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 come about with it. Uh I I remember when uh, we first started getting cameras on our mobile phones and I thought, wow, this is amazing. The first thing that that is absolutely going to take off like wildfire is that people are going to be text messaging or picture text messaging each other. And didn't happen. Not so much, no. Not so much. Uh, but what did happen was that people started using the camera in the, in the phone and just keeping the, phone, the, the photos on their phone. And they would mm-hmm. just show, oh, I've got the picture on my phone here. Have a look. And yeah. then, when, then the internet came along, and it was free to be able to send pictures to other people. Oh, my, well, there you go. We all know uh, what life is like now. So I think mm-hmm. the same is true. I think what you're saying uh, with the foldable screen technology is true. It's like, you know, well, what is the use it's fantastic that it can be done, but where is going to be the actual use for a foldable screen?
2: Well, let's go to the point of convenience, which to me is, is you know, when you look at conflicts in the past and i think hd dvd versus blu-ray is a pretty good example from the the mists of time or vhs versus betamax yeah you had one format over the other that offered greater convenience mm. which blu-ray it was a matter of sony flooding the market with blu-ray players um, and it just became easier to get your hands on on one and you know sony pu- pumped money into content so it was easier to get your hands on content. Yes. And um, with the CD beforehand, you got good sound quality that that was more convenient to carry around than vinyl. And of course, it, it was better sound quality than cassettes and you had random access and all that kind of thing. So it solved problems. What is the problem that a folding display solves? Is it a case of you're looking at handbag space? <laughs> hmm, maybe. I think we have seen from the world of television
0: that people love bigger screens.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's just a
0: thing. It's with the televisions, it's with the phones. I love bigger screens. Now, what if you could just carry a bigger screen around you, with you, for whatever reason, uh, but you were able to fold it in half and keep it in your bag?
2: Yeah, yeah. And and I guess if you're FaceTiming someone, well, bad example, if you're Skyping someone, uh, you get a nice big picture. Um, Yeah, I suppose I can see the the value in that. But you're looking at things like how often would people fold out the phone to use the bigger screen? You if like you're that. not using it an awful lot, are you going to get a crease in it? You're back to using it
0: as a phone. I, I don't think this is going to work as a phone. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to work as something else, but I don't know
2: what it's going to be just yet. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's reasonable. I, yeah, we, we haven't identified the pain point that it solves. Exactly, exactly.
0: But I think one will materialise and I think one will because, I mean, it is a fantastic technology to be able to fold. It could be, I remember watching Tomorrow's World years ago and it was kind of like, and in the future, we will have television screens that are so thin, they'd be like a, a sheet of paper and you'd be able to roll it up like a newspaper. We're almost there. Mm-hmm. We that sound, that there, sounded yeah. fantastic at the time. We are practically there. I think it, I could be mistaken. We, I think we might even actually be there.
2: Well, um, there is one, uh, of course, massive problem to make sure we won't get there in the near future. Uh, and that's sound quality. Well, we can have good displays, but we won't have the sound to match.
0: Ah, but darling, of course you will if you've got your Bluetooth Beats headphones. Oh, come ah, on. Da, da, da. Listen, the other uh, very interesting thing about the Samsung Developers Conference, which I was... Hmm. I, I, they got my attention. And then when they went into the detail, they lost me. Uh, but basically, they were saying about Bixby, all right, which is hmm. a, a bit of a disaster. Uh, but they were saying they, they were opening up Bixby to uh, developers. And they were saying, here's the neat thing about Bixby is that you can give it the start of an instruction and it will use artificial intelligence to figure out all of the permutations and combi- combinations.
2: Can you say desperation?
0: Um, come on. Well, no. Well, whatever. I just thought it was interesting where they said that it would use artificial intelligence to be able to do that. So it's kind of, you know, then they started using this uh, example. They went, wow, this is the future. So let's talk about the future and my holiday on Mars. Uh, Let's tell Uh, Bixby that we want to program in uh, a holiday for Mars for two people with an oxygen. Oh, for God's sake, that's where they lost me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I I think the thinking... Just the thought of, okay, you are a programmer, you get your programming, you know, kind of a third of the way, and the computer will use artificial intelligence to finish the, the rest of it.
2: Yeah, you see, I think Bixby is, I, I guess they're pushing it to, to compete now with Siri and Google Assistant and Cortana for as long as that's around. And Alexa. <laughs> and Alexa. <laughs> yeah, it's a
0: large family of competitors.
2: But I I thought the point of Bixby initially was that it was a phone that got wise to how you used it. So it wasn't a digital personal assistant Mm. as such. This was the phone that recognized it's after six o'clock. You know, Dusty generally uses only these apps after six o'clock. So Mm. we'll shove everything else to the side and just make these apps easier to find. That's great. I think that's that's a useful function. And if that was what Bixby was still trying to be, you know, a, uh, a phone that, that gets wise to how you use it, mm. I think there's still a lot of value in that. To try and turn it into a digital personal assistant, I I'd, don't I'd know, I don't... It's too much of a... a for for yeah, it's too familiar a concept at this stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a lot of competitors in the marketplace uh, as 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 you say. But anyway,s uh, as I, I just thought it was interesting, they were using the AI to do the uh, the codings. Uh, the small the the folding phone. Okay, so they're working on it, uh, and it's going to come at some stage next year. I don't think it'll work as a phone, but I think it'll work as something else. Um, uh, yeah, so was it, it was an interesting evening last night. So there you go. Anyway, listen, that's enough about Samsung. We'll get on with the rest of the show. Thanks as ah, ever now.
1: This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie.
0: The first National Analytics Conference took place earlier this week at the Mansion House in Dublin. Niall had a chance to sit down with the Head of Data Science at Aon Centre for Analytics, Jennifer Cruz, to talk about her approach to data science and finding new and unexpected sources of raw material to work with. Here's how it went.
2: I'm speaking now with Jennifer Cruz, who is the head of data science at the Aon Centre for Innovation and Analytics. So, Jennifer, you work in a very well-defined industry of of insurance, um, but what you actually work with isn't particularly well-defined.
1: Um, Correct, yes, yes. So we, um, the team that I head up, the data science team in the centre, we, um, a lot of the time, spend our time discovering new data sources and are constantly on the lookout for um, open, public and third-party data sets that we can merge with our own proprietary data.
2: Uh, And that presents an awful lot of... um problems i guess because we find on the show that whenever we've talked to somebody about data one of the first things they say or are quite happy to raise is that data is to say the least imperfect
1: yes yes there's no such thing as perfect data and that's something that we've probably all learned the hard way but i think whenever one is dealing with a new data set you should always approach it with a sense of caution (laughs) um and depending on the purpose um don't get too caught up on the perfection of the data. So one thing we would always do is just prioritise or at least try to label what the application of that data is. If it's for financial reporting, if it's for a medical purpose, obviously it needs to be perfect and needs a high level of validation and data quality checking around it. But for other certain things, like if you're building a probabilistic model, um, sometimes it's okay to work with that imperfect data, but make sure that you are just excluding what you don't need and happy to move on with what you've got.
2: And what level of pragmatism do you involve there? I mean, do you have an internal gold standard?
1: We do. As a centre, we would have gold standards on our core data. So the core data that we need to fuel our products and services and that our colleagues need. So there is a high, you know, there's actually dedicated data quality teams there who are constantly assessing and checking the quality of the data coming in. The problem is, I guess, um, in, in those situations where you need a gold standard, you're very limited as a data center in terms of how you can actually affect change so it's all about reaching back to the business user who's using that data and putting some onus, some responsibility on them for fixing the issues of course they can't do it without your direction so gold standard data quality for me is dedicated resources at the point of intake who are checking it and know what to check for but most importantly the feedback loop back to the you know the originator of that data to make sure that it's being fixed being you know corrected and that they're aware of any issues that are there and i suppose the way to win the hearts and minds of people like that is by showing them the value of what you can do with good data and as i say that's very much on the gold standard stuff that we do in our center you know for for other projects and particularly that myself and my team would work on you know we are ingesting sometimes very raw very unstructured data into our data lake for the purposes of data science um, and it doesn't need the same the same gold standard checking on it uh, and that
2: concept of a data lake is really interesting because if you've got bad data in there, it's pretty much oil and water, isn't it?
1: <laughs> like, exactly. The data lake concept is, you know, it's, it's a great one. And I remember years ago when, when it was all data warehouses and everything was schemed, it was so difficult as an analyst or a data scientist to get your hands on data because it had to go through this mythical process to get down into a data warehouse. The fact that we have data lakes now, you know, and I suppose every good thing comes with negatives as well but I suppose the big positive with a data lake is that data analysts data scientists can readily and easily get their hands on data for exploratory and discovery purposes and this links back to agility so just to quickly look at that data and assess you know what is there value in this does it help me achieve the business goal I'm trying to work on so the data lake has definitely enabled that sort of agility and speed that we need Um, but, of course, there are downsides, and I should point it out, oil and water, yeah, so if that gets contaminated in any way. And that's why I suppose with any data lake, there has to be, um, what, we, what we have actually is dedicated tenancies within the data lake. So my team, we would have our own tenancy in there, and we understand kind of the quality or, you know, the, 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 the lesser levels of data quality checks that go on in there. But as I spoke to already, our core data, which we're in the process of migrating into the data lake, that, of course, will have its own tenancy and its own governance around it. So there are definitely ways to handle that, that oil-water thing. And it all ties back to governance, really, and the level of governance you put in on each piece of data that goes in there.
2: So when you're um, asking a question... um, what's your own internal processes then? Do you sit down and you receive a brief from one of the business units and you say, okay, let's let's interrogate this and see if it happens? Or do you find something within the lake and go, do you know what, that's an interesting trend, let's talk to a business unit about this?
1: Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know, there's no one way of doing this and we're a very big centre and we've been around for a long time. So we've we've worked through a lot of different ways of engaging with business, business units. The particular team that I lead up at the moment, um, and that's where I say we have data science and incubation, and innovation really closely linked together how we approach things is the business come to us with new and innovative ideas for products or services that they think will either A. improve Aon's operational efficiency so we can just get stuff done quicker and better or it can open up new revenue for Aon. So they're the two the the, the first kind of checks that we do on the the idea, the ideator comes to us with, is this going to open up new revenue potentially or is it going to make us more operationally efficient? So a business uh, ideator comes to us with with, with their idea, we assess it very quickly actually in terms of okay which box does it fit in Uh, how big potentially could this be And then very high level, what are the steps to make that a reality? Um, And we do a prioritization, so I have a huge backlog always of ideas that, as you can imagine, in a 50,000-person company, we get a lot of ideas. But we do assess them very much on a CBA, you know. So how how potentially beneficial could this be to the company and what effort is going to be involved in us taking it on? So we go through that process with the business, the, the ideator. When we've decided to take something on, Our first session has actually got nothing to do with data or technology it's pure um ideation really and co-creation so what is the business value here who's going to be the ultimate customer what should this look like how is it going to make people's lives easier and we work through the whole design of the solution what would the perfect solution look like and we work through that with the ideator i guess once we have that very high level view of what this product or service is and where it could go, then we start to get back into the detail of, okay, how do we make this a reality? And how do we first, you know, fail fast? So we time backs everything off into eight weeks. What can we do in an eight-week period that, A, at the end of it, we will have something tangible, a minimum piece of, you know, some tangible product that will do a couple of things for us. It'll, number one, just assess the feasibility of the overall idea. But two, it'll allow us to step back then and kind of go, okay, you know what, it's not worth progressing, and we've tried, and we've learned. Or we can step back and go actually this is really um, this is really going somewhere, and what we 've built can feed into a bigger picture, so that 's kind of how we tend to work you know within my area, within the center, so very much fail fast, time box, and be agile and, and get results out as quick as possible
2: and that 's a very interesting element of design thinking you have yeah. in there as well that you know, it's construct what a solution might look like before we plug in the exactly. numbers exactly
1: absolutely and, I, I, you know, and it's something and I, you know i 've been working on this industry for a decade now and that's the single biggest point of failure for me is when when that doesn't happen. When you just go looking at data for data's sake, you know, or you just... And I suppose data scientists are naturally inquisitive people and we, we tend to go down rabbit holes and loopholes and stuff. And that's great, you know, and good stuff can come from that. But really for, for, for data science to be successful is when you step back from the data and really think big... What am I trying to achieve here? And if I got to the end, you know, is that a beneficial product or service? Is it gonna is, is it gonna change the company? Is it is it gonna make new uh, new revenue or whatever? So yeah, the design thinking piece, and I know that is a term that's been bandied around a lot, but it, it can't be can't be underestimated, in my opinion.
2: So uh, as a scientist, I imagine you're constantly looking for people to collaborate with to work mm-hmm. with. But we also hear an awful lot about there's a lack of skills out there. From your perspective, you know, is there a lack of talent, a lack of skills? And if so, how quickly do you think the jobs market or the, the, the talent pool will be able to catch up?
1: Yeah. And funny, this came up earlier today and it's been a constant theme today. And my, my thoughts on it are, you know, really the term analytics, data science, they, they didn't really exist. Not in Ireland anyway, 10 years ago even, you know, so it's a very new Vocation, I would say. And, you know, even we didn't have an industry body until very recently. So we're just a new industry. So, of course, there's a skills gap because it's brand new. And, you know, and, and it, it doesn't have this history and legacy of people moving into it. So we are, in my opinion, we're at this kind of phase where... We do have a lack of supply at the moment and a huge amount of demand. Um, it is a real problem for everybody at the moment, but I think it will be. I, I think it will evaporate as a problem because just naturally enough, um, you know, as the as the kind of vocation matures, as the industry matures, people are going to come more aware of it and be preparing themselves for entering that market. I think there's a bit more that we need to do as a body, particularly around educating secondary level kids of this. Amazing career, like it really is such an amazing career, and we do need to maybe just be a bit more vocal about that to make sure we 're catching them at the secondary school level and um, I think at the third level there 's already a lot happening, and of course there 's a lot of free and open training for data scientists um, just on the topic of skills though and kind of what skills are required and we do all obviously need the really really deep technical skills they 're so important you know and that goes without saying one skill that doesn't get as much reference really is the sort of creative and inquisitive and curious minded people they're just as important in in my opinion in in making data science work um you need because you know the the great ideas and the the really innovative products are going to come more from great creative ideas and then you need technical people to execute on that you know so um i think i think that's a skill that probably doesn't get referenced enough and it goes without saying you need the technical but i think we also need to be encouraging um, you know maybe not your traditional stem people into the industry as well because you know you need both you need the you need the left and right the art and science on this for sure yeah. And I think
2: one of the interesting things about data science being sort of a, a, a buzzword career at yeah. the moment is that it comes with this perception that the maths must be really, really hard. It's not necessarily the case.
1: Um, it's, you know, it's very true. And like, I, I am a mathematician, right? So um, people say to me, I remember somebody said to me recently, that's great, you, you get to use your, your actual degree a lot in your job. And you kind of, well, not really, not that much. You know, so you're not doing kind of deep maths all the time. Now, it's an interesting one, right? If you really want to get under the bonnet of an algorithm or a piece of code, you need to understand the maths behind that. And that can, that can be very um, difficult and challenging. But the way things are going, there's a lot of code you can plug into an open source. And that's the amazing thing about, again, this vocation, so much there's so much sharing of models and knowledge and information. I think you can go a long way without having an undergraduate degree in maths. Um, you definitely need to be a logical thinker. You definitely need to be quantitative. But yeah, because the the, the open library of models and training and learning, I think it's definitely something that uh, people can learn, you know, without having the the deep maths background. But, you know, there's, I don't want to be kind of, mistakenly saying that it's not difficult it is, you know, lots of it is very difficult and very challenging but um, there, there, there's for sure a lot that you can learn if you've got a, a, any sort of a, a quantitative mind. And that was Niall Kitson talking to you, Jennifer Cruz the
0: Head of Data Science at Aon Centre for Analytics uh, That's almost it for our show for this week, just before we go, Niall still with us for our one more thing, something on the website we couldn't quite
2: squeeze into the show, what is it? Yeah, and vaguely related to the Samsung announcement. So basically, is it curtains for Cortana? curtains for cortana what a headline
0: you can get the lowdown on that and all things tech in ireland with hourly updates daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or fridays at 5 p.m on dab digital radio with rte radio one extra until next time from myself to Rhodes. thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend
1: get tech radio subscribe for free with itunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by Digital